Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship, Cyprus, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. God's plan has always been to unite us with Himself and other believers through His Son. Our new life comes with a calling that urges us to radically love others in new ways. Join us as we go through the book of Ephesians in this sermon series called Unimaginable. It's nice to be back with everybody. It's good to have you. Uh, If you're new here, thanks for showing up. I'm really glad that you would come and join us today. Uh, Sit in our living room with us and worship God. Uh, Make a big deal about who he is. Learn about who he is so we can learn how to live how he wants us to. We start a new study today in the book of Ephesians. We're going to begin Ephesians, and we're going to take chunks of Scripture that are too big to take because, you know, we'd be in Ephesians for like 12 years, which wouldn't be bad, which wouldn't be bad. We're going to study the first 14 verses today. Um, and, it, and the book of Ephesians is this really wonderful balance of doctrine and duty, right, of what we would believe and how to live it out. And so we're going to tackle that. And right off the bat, I'm just going to set the stage real quick. Right off the bat, there's the possibility that we get derailed. And I'm going to make sure that we don't get derailed and that we don't miss the forest for the trees. Okay? Some of you are like, I know what you're talking about. Right? Some of you are like, how's he going to do this? You'll see. Uh, I actually had this, the reason I bring it up is I had this great conversation with uh, a, a gentleman who I'm developing a friendship with. And yesterday I was hanging out and he asked me this question. He said, I want to pick your brain about all this God stuff. <laughs> it's like, bring it on. Like, let's do this, right? And he's like, you know, because I have this, like, I grew up a Christian, but I never really, like, got into it. I never really pursued it really that much. And he says, I, I feel like, this is how it works. I feel like, As long as I'm a good person and I'm good to other people and I'm good with the earth, I'll go where the good people go. Immediately, there's a few problems. And it's okay because a lot of us have been in a similar circumstance, maybe. His idea of God, he believes in a higher power, affects the way he lives his life. What he believes about God will influence the way he lives his life. And if it's a small view, he'll, he'll live accordingly. If it's a loose view, he'll live accordingly. Right? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Like, How does your faith in who God is, how he is, what he is, how does it affect your life? Do you ever ponder that at all? Or do you, maybe, maybe some of us have a similar view, but we, are, we have believed in Christ and yet we live, as long as I'm basically good, I'll be okay. See, doctrine is not just for the theologically astute people who are intellectual, those academics over there. Knowing what we believe matters. Understanding who God is and how he operates matters because it helps us shape the way we live our life. To say that you believe in God is great. James tells us that even the demons believe that. Well, you know, they're not living for the Lord. They're not living in a way that is beneficial for the earth. Quite the opposite. So a fundamental belief in God doesn't actually matter. Like just the idea that he's there. Who you believe God to be will shape the way you live your life. It should shape the way you live your life. And so as we look into Ephesians, the first half of the book is really talking about 
this thing. It's this explanation of the gospel that Paul gives us, right? There's doctrine, there's this understanding, this study of who God is and what he's done in the world. And then there's this bridge with this really big word, therefore, going into four through six, that teaches us because of this, therefore, do this. And it influences families and marriages. It influences your friends. It influences the world around you, believers, non-believers, in the church, out of the church, so forth and so on. And so we're gonna tackle the book of Ephesians today. And I really want you to wrestle with a few things. I want you to wrestle with what do you actually believe based on what the Holy Scriptures say? And not just pieces of the Scripture, but the whole counsel of God. Anytime we get into doctrine and theology, here's the thing. We can make it say a whole bunch of stuff. We can make it say a whole bunch of stuff by taking a few scriptures here and a few scriptures there. And people have been doing this for thousands of years to make it say what they want it to say. And then they argue that that is the way that it says it. So I'm not here to argue a system or a point. I'm, we're gonna read what it says. I'm gonna present as the biggest picture I can of the whole counsel of God. And I want you to pray as you ought and pray that the Spirit of God would teach us how to live it out. Does that sound good? Good. That's what I was hoping the answer was going to be. Some background on the book of Ephesians. You can read Paul's interaction in Ephesus, Acts 19 and 20. We're not going to go into some amazing things happen, miraculous things happen, God-sized things happen there. Some crazy stuff went down in Ephesus. It's written by Paul. He was in prison at the time that he wrote the letter. And these first 14 verses really are going to talk about the blessings that we have from God, the triune God. And he speaks about blessings we have in the Father, blessings we have in the Son, and blessings we have in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to break it down. The first six verses are going to be the blessings from God. This is where we're going to run into some trouble, which is okay. We're not scared of trouble. Right? 7 through 12 is about the blessings of the Son. And the last two verses, the blessings of the Spirit. And there's two words that show up 10 times in these 14 verses. In Him. In Him. Over and over. In Him. In Him. In Christ. In Him. In Him. Over and over and over again. So we're going to focus on what it is to be in Him, why it's important, and what it means for us. Okay? Let's jump in. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, just in case you're new to the Bible, Paul is telling you who is writing it first because it wasn't on a computer and it wasn't a handwritten letter where you say, dear so-and-so, and you sign it at the end because you can just flip to the back and find out. These were on scrolls, so they say, oh, this is from Paul. Let's keep on reading. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to, and it's very important who he's writing it to. He's not writing it to the general population of the earth. Right? He's not writing it to unbelievers. He's writing it to the saints who are in Ephesus, right? this city of idol worship, this city of chaos, right? lots of diverse thought. But in Ephesus are Jewish believers right, and Gentile believers. You can look in Acts 19 and 20 to see what God did there and how he engrafted, right? He, he brought the Gentiles into the family of God. And some of the verbiage that we hear in this verse speaks to that, okay? 
So the church was filled with a whole bunch of different kinds of people, not just Jewish believers, not just Gentiles, but they were unified in that church in Ephesus. So to the saints, those people set apart who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this is to those who are in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about how you get there in just a little bit. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Incidentally, this is a common thing that Paul writes, but grace and peace don't come outside of God and Jesus. So he's offering those who are in Christ Jesus that grace and peace that they were met with in Christ Jesus. Here's what it says, you ready? Some of you are excited, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and others of you are like, oh gosh. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, What Paul is doing is this is actually this really beautiful Jewish poem that he's saying at the beginning here, talking about who God is and what is available in this relationship through him. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, here it is, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Just start there. He's offering this blessing, God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who created the universe, the one who has never had a beginning, will never have an end, and who always is. He is the eternal God. Blessings to that God. Very specific. Right? It's not the guy upstairs. It's not a higher power. The Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the one true living God who created everything and who will always be. It's very important. See, in my conversation with my friend, he's like, I don't know why does God have to have a name? Why do we have to name God? Because if you don't name God, then you can do whatever you want. When there's a name, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is some very specific things that take place in regards to our relationship with that God, right? So again, what do you believe about God? Is he just out there in the ether? Is he just out there in the expanse? Or is, or is it tied to a relationship? If, and if it is, we have to decide how that, that relationship works. So who has blessed us in Christ, that's important, in Christ, with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's quite a lot. So it means that in Christ, we have everything that we need, right? Everything that we need. Blessings are great. Spiritual blessings are different maybe than the blessings that you think about, right? Our wonderful, our wonderful lives and we have all the things and do all the stuff, right? Oh, we're so blessed. Hashtag blessed. Spiritual blessings, though, are not necessarily anything having to do with stuff at all. It has to do with grace and peace and mercy and joy and patience and kindness and eternity and hope. And we have everything of of that nature in Christ. It's very important. Otherwise, we can believe, if you don't believe that it's every spiritual blessing in Christ, well, then maybe Jesus doesn't have everything we need and then we need to do some things on our own And maybe we need to obtain some blessings on our own by what we do and how we operate. Nothing yet has anything to do with us, does it? (laughs) 
our ability. See, we don't have every spiritual blessing in ourselves. Right? We don't, we don't, the grace and peace doesn't come through ourselves. Even as he, here it comes, even as he chose us in him, who's us? This is very important. How many of you were believers from birth? The answer is zero. How many of us do we believe that somehow on our merit, God would choose some to be in and some to be out? Is that what it means? Or does it maybe mean those who are in him have been chosen for a specific purpose? So it's important that you wrestle through. We have to, there are some, I'm just gonna lay out both things, okay? And I'm not gonna tell you one way or the other because I think it's important that you pray and wrestle with it. Some would say that we don't have a choice. He chooses some and he doesn't choose others. If that's the way it works, he's God. He can actually do whatever he wants. He could do that. Some would say that it's not that he's sitting there before people are born and choosing, okay, Johnny's in. <laughs> See, if that was the case, we'd all wonder. <laughs> so and so-and-so's not in, he's in, she's in, she's out, he's out, right? It would imply that there's actually not a choice at all, right? There are some that say, well, how can that be, right? Adam and Eve had a choice. They were created in, by him, for him, and through him, and they were presented with a choice to obtain and stay in the relationship or not? Were they redeemed? Were they not? Did he not choose them? There's some things you have to wrestle with, right? So he chose us. It could be that he sat and picked and chose. Some of us grew up believing that he keeps some in and he sends some to hell. Then you have to wrestle with the other parts of scripture, right, that may say he desires that none should be lost, that all should come to repentance. That he desires everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of him is what he told his young pastor friend in Ephesus, Timothy. Right? So we're not gonna get bogged down here. I just wanted you to present it because it's important that you see it both ways. But it's in him. In him, before the foundation of the world. It means that God knows everything all the time. There is a mystery of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man that will never be resolved in this life. And it happens to be an argument that destroys the church because we believe that we have to know the exact answer and that our answer is the only answer. And it causes division and brokenness in the church. We will not do that here today. We're gonna focus on in him why he knew. Did God know everything ahead of time? Yes. Does he leave room for people to choose him back? There's evidence in the scripture, yes. So instead of it being an either or, maybe it's a both and. How that works together, that's up to God to make known. There's more important fish to fry here than that specific doctrine. But it's important that we believe that God knew everything ahead of time, that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And it's our job to submit to that. And it's also important to know that God did not create you to be a robot. God, I'll give you this one thing, we'll move on. God created Adam and Eve knowing that they would fail. And he, he did it anyway. He created them in his image for his purpose and for an intimate relationship with him, knowing that they would mess it up. He had to have known that, right? Because he knows, otherwise he wouldn't really be God. Very interesting that he would make them knowing 
And he still had a plan of salvation from the very beginning to have people in him. It's a great conversation. If you want to talk further about this specific things and wrestle it out and argue and fight, I'm down. Let's do it. But we're going to move on to the rest of the scriptures this morning, okay? Because we have some more verbiage that are going to get us there. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So in Christ, he has purposed that those in Christ would be holy and blameless. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. See, God is all about his glory, his will, and his purpose. So everything he does is in love towards us for his glory and for his purpose. What's interesting here is this word adoption, right? Remember, this is to Jews and Gentiles. Jews were the family of God, and the Gentiles were grafted in, adopted. I've adopted two children. And do you know, they don't get seconds. They, are, they have been brought in as firsts. And the inheritance is for them also, right? It's for them also. Not just for them also, but because I love them and I see them as my own. It's, they're not, I don't have stepdaughters. I have three daughters. Period. And everything that I have will be afforded to all three the same. So God brings us in. And the inheritance is available to all of those who are what? In Christ. And it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We have great spiritual blessings from God the Father. Verse seven, in him we have what? Redemption. Redemption. What do we have to be redeemed from? In Christ we have redemption. Liberation, deliverance. What are we delivered from? Liberated from the bondage and slavery of our sin, right? If you don't believe that you have sin or you need saving, right, then you'll live your life any way you want. But if you believe this, that you are, that redemption is required for you, that you somehow need liberation, that you are chained up and I was chained up in sin and then it created separation from God, that should, that should spark a little like, woohoo in you. Right, but so the question is always, if you believe this, how would you live if you've been liberated? Some of us use alcohol for liberation. I mean, not you, but. Some of us use other things, like what is it? What's the, what's the thing? Where we finally feel, oh, I feel free, I feel loose, I feel liberated, I'm delivered from my whatever. Like, no, in Christ we have Redemption, he says, through his blood, through his blood. So the redemption doesn't come. The payment for our penalty doesn't come. We're not bought back with money, with works or anything else. It is through the blood of another. We are redeemed, paid for, 
set free and liberated through the blood of Jesus, right? Through the blood of Christ. The redemption comes through the blood of Christ. It does not say, in him and our works we have redemption through his blood. In him and our holiness we have redemption. In him and our stuff we have redemption. In him and baptism we have redemption. In him and whatever you want to put there, it doesn't, it's not there. It is through the blood of Christ that we have redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses. We talked a lot about trespasses at, uh, around Christmas time. Go look in Leviticus chapter, um, hold on. This is, a, this is a good scripture if you want to. Chapter 16, 20 and 22. It's the scapegoat on the day of atonement. What they would do is the priest would come and they would confess all the sins of Israel. They would bring in a goat and they would lay on, they would put on the goat all the iniquity and sin and trespasses of all the nation of Israel. And what they would do is they would send it away out into the wilderness to be removed from the people. That was a visual picture that they would do in order that people would realize that God when he forgives us, he is sending away our sin from us. As far as the east is from the west, it says in one scripture. As far as it can be. So in Christ, we have redemption. We have forgiveness for our trespasses according to the what? Riches of his grace, which means that we are afforded something we don't deserve. Oh, man. And it says, verse eight, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set for in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to what? Unite all things in him. The theme of this book, there's two things that you can really hold on to. Love and unity we'll find throughout the scripture in the book of Ephesians. But his purpose was to bring all things together, right? Everything we've done has created brokenness and scatter. And in Christ, we are brought together, united in love and purpose. And it gets in here, one, one God, one Savior. We're gonna hear so much of this verbiage, it's gonna be awesome. But he united all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So through Christ, another blessing, we have redemption, we have a blessing of forgiveness. And now we've been given this inheritance for those who are in him. It's not, the, the, it's not the pious and religious. All people who are in Christ, and we'll talk about that in a quick sec, the most important part of what we're gonna talk about. If these blessings come through Christ, how do we be able to attain this inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, the we there, he's actually talking about the Jews, Right? They were given the first opportunity to hope in Christ. It says in Christ that we, uh, to be the praise of his glory, and then it says in him you also, I don't wanna jump ahead, but that you is the Gentiles. Remember, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles in the Ephesian church. So we've been given this inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance. What's the inheritance? What are we offered when in Christ? 
Redemption, forgiveness. What's the inheritance? Something yet to come, right? We don't have it yet because, well, when he died, when do you get an inheritance? When somebody dies. Not only did he, not only did he die so that we could obtain the inheritance and use it now, but he went to go be our advocate, the lawyer to make sure the will was enforced. Last two verses. Blessings in the Holy Spirit. In him, you also, when you heard the word, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. If the whole thing is about becoming in him, how do we be, how are we able to be in him? It is through the hearing of the gospel of salvation and through faith and belief. And we show that by confessing our sin because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, how do you do that? Would anybody run to the grace of God on their own? I didn't. Does God draw us and pursue us? Yeah, the scripture says that. But he doesn't move your lips and he, he won't respond for you. He already desires that you would not be lost, but that you would come to repentance. He already, we already know that that's his desire. But the scripture says that this little piece in the relationship between us and God to be in Christ, the forgiveness has already been available. The redemption has already been paid, right? It's already there. The cross, Jesus doesn't die on the cross every time a sinner comes to repentance. That's not what this scripture teaches. It's once for all, once for all. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Some of you are hearing the word of truth now, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time. Some of you, you've heard this your whole life. Some of you know, like, yes, I heard the word of truth and I, I believed and I confessed my sin and I'm different, I've been regenerated. And what's interesting is in faith and belief, when we come to God in repentance, as you are sealed Sealed. You have all the things on the inside that you need. With Christ comes the Holy Spirit. And this is very important because we can be tempted to believe that there's another step to receive the Holy Spirit. And this would say otherwise. He says, the gospel of your son, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the what? guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Before we get to heaven, to make sure that we remember that we are there, we got this seal. It's the best notary seal you've ever had. Like, hey, this is gonna happen. It's yours, it's stamped, it's ready, it's finished, it's done. You have the spirit letting you know that you have heaven coming because you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Here's the bottom line. If you are not in Christ, it is not that God is, you know when you have a little brother and you push their forehead so they can, they're swinging at you and they can't get to you? God is not up there trying to hold you back. But the word of truth is clear. There is one way to salvation. There is one way to have a guarantee of heaven. It is through Jesus Christ. You must be in Christ Jesus to 
have all the blessings of God the Father, all the blessings of Jesus the Son, and all the blessings of the Holy Spirit, you must be in Christ. And in order to do that, it comes through hearing the truth that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is no one good, not even one. That all have fallen away, all have gone astray. But because God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for what our sins earned us, which is death and separation from God forever. And because Jesus was the perfect spotless man, which reflected the perfect spotless sacrifice, the lamb in the Old Testament, he offers us salvation. He's the only one that could pay the penalty that would redeem us and offer us forgiveness. And it says that those who would believe, whoever would believe, will be saved from having to pay the penalty of their sin, death and separation from God forever, which we lovingly refer to as hell. It will be hell to not be with God. In Christ, the good news is this, is that he didn't stay dead. The scriptures tell us that he rose from the grave to prove that he had power over death and offer us hope for eternity, which is what the Spirit guarantees is waiting for us to obtain later. You've heard the word of truth. The scripture says that our responsibility is a response. And to be in Christ means that you would admit your sin that you acknowledge that you need him, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he obtained the forgiveness that you need through his death and resurrection, and that you would confess your sin out of conviction. Now you can say you're sorry, but it doesn't mean you're actually sorry, right? Saying sorry doesn't count if you're doing it begrudgingly and you're like, ah, I just wanna get out of trouble. No, conviction that you know that you need God. And the Bible says, when you receive that, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit as well as a guarantee for the inheritance that we have in him. We can fight about a lot of things, but we can't fight about this one thing. We must be in Christ to obtain all the spiritual blessings that are available to us through God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So my question is this, are you in him? Are you in Christ if you are not in Christ and you feel conviction and you want to know Christ, I want you to come see me after the service. I want you to come and meet Jesus. If you are a person who grew up in church and you know all of this, but you, it has not affected your life at all, I want you to pay attention. Are you in him? Do you believe who this God is in the scriptures? What is he asking you to change? What, do you, what adjustments are we to make if this is true, how can we live differently? What would we do different tomorrow when we wake up? Thank you for letting me go a little long. I appreciate it. It's a lot in there. There's so much more we could talk about. <clears throat> what we're gonna do is this. We're gonna share in the Lord's table. I'm gonna invite my friend Heath to come up and he's gonna lead us in the Lord's table. And I'm gonna do this. Uh, I'm gonna, in fact, uh, ask the Jaspers. They're gonna be right over here in the corner. And I'm gonna be actually in the back of the room during this time of communion, if you don't know Christ and you want to, I just want to afford you a couple places to come talk to us. You're in a good room to do it, by the way, because we all have not been in him and are now grateful. Please lead us in the table. Johnny, thank you for leading us uh, week after week uh, with diligence. Uh, 
we love you a lot. We are truly grateful for you as a church. Um, Christian, thank you for leading us in worship every week. Church, this morning we get to continue to worship the Lord in the Lord's Supper or in communion. And it is a beautiful thing. But I want to, I want to share with you, if you are not a believer, if you are not in Christ, it is okay to let that, that plate pass. You don't, have to be, uh, you don't have to take part in communion. But I ask you this, wherever you're sitting, as if you are not in Christ and you have never surrendered, that you find yourself asking God to reveal himself to you. Because when I was 18 years old, I said, God, if you are real, show yourself. I'll give you anything in my life you want. I just need you to show up. And at 18 years old, he showed up and he changed my life. And I am who I am today because of him. I'm going to read a passage of scripture over you this morning, but I want you to I'm going to kind of give you a warning. In verse 27, Paul tells us something that we kind of need to be cautious of. He gives us a warning. And the warning is not to come to the table in an unworthy manner. Not to come with an unworthy heart. He wants us to approach the table whole. And so right where you are, take a few minutes and just, Lord, is there anything in me that I need to lay at your feet Is my relationship with my spouse in order? Am I harboring bitterness? Am I broken in some way that I need to lay before you so I can be right? So when I approach the table this morning, I approach worthy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 26, he says, And the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he took it, He gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they ate. And he said, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he said, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're serving communion this morning, if you'll take your places. Church, you get to come before the table of a holy God who loves you, who desires to fellowship with you, who desires to know you, who desires to walk with us every day. And it is my prayer, if you have not surrendered and you do not know him, that this morning your life will be forever changed because you meet the one true God. We have gluten-free stations. If you have uh, the gluten bowl, will you raise your hand so our people can see you? Father, this morning we humbly come before you and ask you, To meet with us as we approach your table remind us of your love and the sacrifice you made for our sins glorify yourself in this body make your name famous make your name great in all that we do 
We ask these things and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, come to the table. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Cypress app to find community in the body of Christ.